one day I was, somebody witnessed me going in the house and, and like shortly, and when I was in that house, I came across a, a gun, a firearm actually. So I took the firearm, you know, and here when I'm at this point, you know, I'm sitting there and that's like when, you know, when the devil's on your shoulder and the angels on one shoulder telling you, don't do this, don't do that. And, and I knew it was a total wrong thing to do. And, and at this point I had already had, you know, I had some prior felonies and stuff that I left behind in North Dakota. So I knew like having a possession of a firearm was a very bad thing, you know, but I still took it. And about within an hour of leaving that house, the police, you know, rolled up on me and they questioned me. And I was like, okay, you got me basically. I mean, they, they searched me and they found the firearm. And they were like, obviously, you're under arrest. So I was in a Vermont state prison within two hours, basically. And uh... this is episode number 67 with Brian Reap. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Hey there, welcome back to Pursuing Health. This episode coming up is a very powerful one. As you know, in every episode, I'm always asking you to send me stories of individuals who have used lifestyle to overcome serious health challenges. This particular story is one that comes from you. Brian Reap's coach listens to the podcast, and she sent me an email about him several months ago. After hearing just a little bit of his story and how he used CrossFit to overcome a battle with addiction, I couldn't wait to hear more. When we finally sat down to record this episode, I was absolutely blown away by Brian's story, and I can't wait to share it all with you here. Briefly, we talk about Brian's long battle with addiction to drugs and alcohol. He shares his rock-bottom moment and what it was like to find himself in federal prison facing a 5-10 to year sentence. It was in prison that Brian began his road to sobriety, and CrossFit and physical activity played a huge role in his recovery and his eventual freedom with new purpose in life. Today, Brian is a member of CrossFit Port Royal Sound, as well as a CrossFit Level 1 trainer. As a coach for Sobriety Wad, he leads free workouts at his affiliate for others in his community that are searching for sobriety. Brian's story is very real, very unique, and it gives a strong sense of hope to others in this battle with addiction, so I hope you enjoy it. A few quick reminders before we get started. First, if you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and consider giving it a rating. I'm also always looking for inspiring stories to share, just like Brian's. So if you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send your story to me at info at juliefouché.com and I'll select some to share here on future episodes. To check out my online training programs through Beyond the Whiteboard, visit trainwithjuliefouché.com. Finally, please remember that although I'm now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and it does not provide medical advice. So here we go. Let's get started with episode number 67 of Pursuing Health featuring Brian Reap and his incredible story of finding sobriety through CrossFit. So welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm here with Brian Reap, um, who I'm very excited to talk to. I actually heard about his story through his coach, um, Allison Cadmus who reached out to me and told me about 
you know, what an amazing story he has and how hard of a worker he is and what an impact he's had on the people in the gym. So I'm very excited to dig into that story. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Awesome. So you have a history of addiction and you've been sober now for for over four years, you said? Yes. Yes. Going on about four and a half years. Yeah. That's which is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. And CrossFit now is a big part of your life. And so I want to start at the beginning and kind of hear the background of your story and then how it's evolved into where you are today. So maybe we could just start off with what your life was like growing up and then what eventually led you into your addiction. Certainly. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Northeastern Pennsylvania and, uh, I grew up a pretty large family. I had four older brothers and an older sister, and I was I was very athletic. I was a you know a big runner in high school, a state champion, and uh, you know I also was a um, competitive freestyle skier. Wow! Yeah, through the eighties and early early to mid nineties, I skied freestyle, and and uh, I was pretty good. I was top nineteenth in the nation in the nineteen ninety. That's amazing. uh, Yeah, so. Yeah, I was pretty serious about my uh, my athletic abilities and, and my skiing, for one. I, I definitely wanted to pursue a career in skiing. But, um, you know, when I got I got injured once skiing, and uh, when, when I sustained that injury, I kind of started using alcohol and pot as a crutch, mm-hmm. you know. And then it, it was also kind of a thing in high school. Obviously, other people did it. And, and I kind of, you know, I had older brothers, and they all kind of did the same thing, you know. So... So, uh, you know, growing up, I kind of was around that. I thought it was a cool thing to do, but I, you know, also thought I had control of it and stuff. But, um, you know, as I got into college and stuff, I, it just got worse. It excelled, you know, I, I treated partying like, you know, it was part of college and stuff, but, uh, but, uh, you know, I had an addictive personality. I had older, one of my older brothers had a very bad addiction and my father was an alcoholic. Okay. Uh, you know, but I really wasn't aware of how bad that stuff was when, you know, I started to use and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I wasn't aware of my dad's alcoholism, you know, how okay. bad it was. He passed away when I was at a young age. So, uh-huh. so yeah, so I later found out more about that. And, uh, and it's something yeah, that, kinda, that runs, I mean, it's such a strong family history component of addiction. So exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, this was, I grew, I was born in 1971. So, you know, in the mid 80s, I was using marijuana and, and, you know, I was drinking alcohol, you know, as a young teenager. And back then, I don't think people were as aware of it as they are now, you know. And and I don't think they're aware of, you know, the genetics in their family either. As you know, now it's like, oh, you know, I mean, I, I have two children and I'm like very conscious of, conscious of, you know, them not, not wanting to go down that road, you know. Right keep them on the right track but uh but yeah i you know my i, I didn't have any control obviously <laughs> you know i didn't have any business using drugs or alcohol and I, I didn't i didn't look at the seriousness of it and when i went through college you know i was successful i went to college for horticulture and uh you know i still skied competitively in my beginning college years but uh i was using a lot of marijuana and i was uh my brother we were all big Grateful Dead, and so we did a lot of Grateful Dead concerts, and that you know that whole <laughs> culture and era was a big part of my life then. Okay, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that really 
blew up on me, you know. Um, and I, like I said, I sustained an injury skiing, and I didn't really go back to competitive skiing. And I started uh, using more drugs and alcohol, and uh, I had a lot of resentment, I think, towards the fact that I didn't know how bad of an alcoholic my father was. You know, my mom kind of kept that stuff a secret from my husband. That she kept it a secret. I think she was just, you know, like I said back then, I don't think people were forward about that stuff, right. you know. So, Something that's hard to talk about with your kids, I'm sure, especially, yeah, you know, with yeah, him passing away when yeah. you were younger. Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, as I got through college, I, you know, I was in and out of trouble several times. Um, I got caught with excessive amounts of marijuana dealing, and I somehow got off of some of these cases for, like, illegal search and seizure in certain instances. But, uh, you know, I never recognized those uh, those experiences as a you know a sign hey you know maybe you should stop doing this you should mm-hmm. change your life and I, and I just kept going down that road really I mean addiction had a bad hold on me you know uh and you know before I mean I started getting heavily into cocaine and heroin I was doing all any drug basically I was putting from me I would try it and, and I usually liked it and I usually did a lot of it you know mm-hmm. it was uh whatever you I could get know. your hands on yeah yeah pretty much and um so I would go through bouts too. I went through bouts with cocaine for a long time. Then I was into heroin and I was into both because, you know, you want to do the up and the down and that. And, and uh, but, you know, eventually, I mean, I, I was all through my, from my mid twenties, probably through my thirties. And uh, I met my now ex-wife in Denver, Colorado, you know, when I was about 38. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she she was into drugs a little bit and we partied, but we decided we were going to straighten our lives out and we moved back east together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked with my brother in Vermont and doing carpentry, and I got pretty straight. We had our daughter, and uh, you know I stayed pretty sober at that point. Aside from you know I still drank beer and I still smoked pot, you know, but I thought that was sober. You know I was like, oh, I'm good. I can manage my life. Right. Yeah. Much. I mean, much different than what your life had looked like previously. So a big improvement. Yeah. Big improvement, but you know, uh, I still wasn't. I still was a far, a far cry from you know being sober and thinking. Right. You know, I, I was fooling myself. I wasn't fooling. Yeah, you know, I had a lot of denial. You know, so. What was it you think that that made the two of you decide that you wanted to straighten out a little bit, or that you wanted to make a change? Um, we knew we were going down a, a you know, the wrong road, basically. And, and uh, you know, it was just like time to grow up and get a grip. I mean, I, you know, I, we were doing a lot of, I mean, I was doing a lot of uh, shady things for money, dealing drugs, you know, that kind of thing. I was, you know, I wasn't holding a full-time job and, you know, and it was, it was obvious to me that I, you know, I wasn't leading a good life, mm-hmm. but when you're, when you're that addicted, you know, you'll tell yourself anything to keep using basically. Right. And, uh, and, and, you know, a lot of times I think, in, in addiction, there's that acronym fear, you know, and it's like F everything and run. Thing, you know, a lot of people say, and, you know, so I had this notion that if I just run away from those problems there, I can fix my problems. Right. And, and, I, and that's what I said I did for a while, you know what I mean? Like, I, I thought I straightened out, but I still was using alcohol and marijuana, which are still, you know, it's still, it's still there's just crutches. Right. Yeah, so I didn't realize I was on that danger. You know, I was walking that thin line because if something bad happened in my life, you know what I mean? It was easy to dive back to the, the harder drugs or whatever and just drown your feelings in that and, mm-hmm. you know, all the denial and everything. And, 
And that's exactly what happened to me, Julie. Uh, you know, after a few years of being married, we were we were happy in Vermont, but we moved back to North Dakota, where she was from, and uh, it was clear I wasn't happy there, and she wasn't happy. And and you know, we had another child, our, our son, and um, and things were okay, but eventually it just got worse, and it was obvious, you know, our relationship was going downhill, and and uh, you know, the resentment for me came out. Mm-hmm. I started drinking a lot more again and I started using and I was hiding it from everyone you know and, mm-hmm. and using uh led to more I started doing methamphetamine at that point and you know at this point I'm in my early 40s you know I mean I'm 45 mm-hmm. now but uh and I did the same thing I thought oh I'll fix my problems by running away from them and I left North Dakota and I left everything behind and I went back to Vermont again okay and I, I was your safe from- place yeah and, uh, but, you know, it was clear that my brother, like, even though he kind of was like, yes, come back when I got there, I don't think really, you know, deep down he wanted to <laughs> he, he knew I had issues and he wanted to help, but I didn't want help. And uh, I just, I was back in Vermont yeah. for the second time trying to save myself. <laughs> um, and like I said, it was, I, was with, I was living with my brother and his wife and it was apparent that, you know, I had issues and, you know, it was kind of obvious they didn't, you know, they wanted to help, but, you know, like I said, I didn't want help. And, and I, I, I started feeling like I was a nuisance to them. So I started staying with a friend and I was doing some work on his house, but like that ran short. And when he was gone during the day, what I was doing, this is where my, I just spiraled downhill very fast at this point. I was going around his neighborhood, going in houses and taking pills, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, Oh, I'll just go in the neighbor's house. They're not home and take pills out of the medicine cabinet. And then I would just walk around and, and, uh, you know, I was just doing a lot of opiate pills, whatever I could find, basically. And I was smoking a lot of pot and drinking. And, and I was just miserable. I was in denial about my divorce, you know, the way my wife and I got along, the things I did to her, the things she did to me, you know, all of that was, and the way I was feeling with my brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, one day I was, somebody witnessed me going in the house and, and like, Shortly, and when I was in that house, I came across a, a gun, a firearm, actually. Wow. So I took the firearm, you know. And here, when I'm at this point, you know, I'm sitting there, and that's like when you know when the devil's on your shoulder and yeah. the angels on one shoulder telling you, "Don't do this, don't do that." And, and I knew it was a total wrong thing to do. And and at this point, I had already had, you know, I had some prior felonies and stuff that I left behind in North Dakota. So I knew like having a possession of a firearm was a very bad thing, you know. Yeah. But I still took it. And about within an hour of leaving that house, the police, you know, rolled up on me and they questioned me. And I was like, okay, you got me basically. I mean, they searched me and they found the firearm and they were like, obviously under arrest. So I was in a Vermont state prison within two hours, basically. And uh, mm-hmm. that's where I was like, oh, my God, you know, at this point, you know, I was like, how fast your life can spiral. Yeah. You know, and you can hit rock bottom. And that's, when, you know, like I said, I had all those prior experiences where I got in and out of trouble. And I was thinking then, you know, oh, these were signs that I should have listened to, you know, and I didn't. And when I got in prison for the first few months, I had this notion I was going to get out on like some kind of drug court release. And, you know, I had a, uh, just a, a court appointed lawyer. Mm-hmm. But shortly after, about three months into it, she had called me and said, you're being federally indicted for the possession of the firearm because you already had a prior felony and that's, wow. that's a federal crime. So I'm like, Oof. 
So at that point, you know, my mother helped me get a federal attorney. Mm -hmm. And what does uh, that mean? Is that a certain time sentence or what did that mean at that time? I mean, you could get five to ten. Yeah, I was looking at five to ten years. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. in prison. Oh, yeah. And uh, so at this point, I'm in, I'm in state prison for about three months. And, uh, you know, I'd say after the first month, like the first month in, I just kind of wallowed in my cell in depression and was just like, oh, my God. And then, but eventually I started getting outside. I got moved to a better housing unit because I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't misbehaving or anything. And they put me into a um, kind of workers housing unit. Mm -hmm. And uh, I met a gentleman there who encouraged me to go to AA meeting. So I went to my first AA meeting that I'd gone to in a long time. Mm -hmm. First one, I actually really applied what I was learning in it. And uh, it was an eye opener because there were other people in there, you know, and I, and some of them had worse problems than me. And I was like, oh, man, I thought I was in trouble, you know, so. Took things in perspective. Yeah, yeah. And it made me feel a little bit better. But so at this point, I started leaving my housing unit during the, the time we had to go outside. And I was walking in the rec yard. It started with walking. Mm -hmm. I'd walk laps. Mm -hmm. And then it was like. I started running again, and I was like, oh, this is, I remembered what, you know, my youth was like. I started, those memories and those feelings of, you know, how good it felt to be athletic came yeah. back to me. Then I started implementing, like, pull-ups and the push-ups and everything and into the running, and uh, and I just started feeling better and better. And I got a, a job cleaning the booking office, and the guards at this state prison were very helpful. It, was a, it wasn't a horrible place. They, were, they really encouraged you to do better. And mm -hmm. I started going to the library and teaching some English to some of the Colombian people that were there. And, and wow. you know, and it felt really good because I started helping people, and it was helping me. Mm -hmm. That's when the 12 steps of AA started coming into play. I started really reading the big book, and I read a book called Living Sober. Mm -hmm. And... All of it just made started making so much sense. You know, every chapter of the big book, it was like, there I am, there I am. <laughs> the wow. funny thing was, I remember when I first finished the big book, I ran to the phone and I called my mom and I said, oh my God, I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. And she was <laughs> like, I can't believe it. I'm so happy to say that. You know? <laughs> but you know, all these years of, you know, and you finally accepted it. And, that, yeah. you know, you started, so I started getting a, a grip on, you know, the humility and, you know, yeah. accepting powerlessness and, and, and and I and eventually I started realizing that the exercise was really helping me to do that. That's amazing. You know? Can you just for people who maybe aren't familiar, just give us an idea of what Alcoholics Anonymous is or what the program is based around? Yeah, Alcoholics Anonymous it's a twelve step program and uh, you know, it's it's uh it's kind of a open it's a fellowship of you know, you know, and it's and it's a type of fellowship where, you know, you're are um, kind of supposed to remain you know, it's an autonomous thing. People so a lot of people are they don't want to admit, you know, about alcoholics. They, they keep it. They keep it in the fellowship, right. you know. But it's it's a community almost, just yeah. like CrossFit, is, you know, which is what's cool about it, mm -hmm. and kind of what's cool about how that sobriety wad thing works because you know they relate so much. Um, but it's it's a it's um, basically when you start in AA, normally when you go into your first AA meeting, when you sit down and you know say your name and say you're an alcoholic, mm -hmm. normally. But he, they, they automatically will jump back to step one, which is accepting powerless. So no matter what that meeting was supposed to be about, you know, I don't typically do, they'll jump back to step one and read step one, you know, and kind of just let you in with open arms, you know. Yeah. Nobody's like, you know, it's one of those things, nobody looks down on you. They don't, you know, it doesn't matter what you did and all the shame and all that stuff, you know, we're all alike, mm -hmm. you know, like-minded. 
well, basically is the best way to say it, I guess. Open and accepting and, and you, the meetings are open to anyone. I know when we learned, we learned about it in, I think my second year of medical school and all of us actually went and sat in on an AA meeting, which was such a cool experience. But I agree. I think when I was learning about the 12 steps and learning about some of the principles, I did keep going back to CrossFit and thinking about how similar they are in so many ways. So I do want to get back to that, but take us then to the, from this point, how did you progress from this point where you're starting with AA, you're starting to give back by teaching and you're doing more physical activity. And then where did things go from there? Well, then shortly after that, the U.S. Marshals showed up at that state prison, and they basically take you to federal prison, you know. Oh. I still wasn't sentenced yet, so they took me to a federal prison, uh, of, uh, FCI Raybrook, which is the old Olympic training compound from Lake Placid. Wow. And after the Olympics, they turned that into a federal prison. <laughs> and it's up there set in the mountains, you know. And uh, But uh, so they have me there, and I waited about, I think I stayed there almost six months while I waited sentencing. And that they had a big recreation yard and, like, you know, indoor and outdoor weightlifting. And, you know, there was a lot of recreation available. And there was, you know, the AA was harder to do that. When I got into federal prison, some of that stuff was harder because you're just in a bigger prison and, like... You know, they just, they try to offer more, but there's more, there's a lot more riffraff. Some of they can't do some of that stuff. And, okay. and then, so, I mean, when it was available, I would jump on it, but like, I, there wasn't always a weekly meeting to go to. Okay. So at that point, I was, I was really, I was honing in on my books, like mm-hmm. my big mm-hmm. and I was, But, um, but when I got to that prison, I really started turning on the fitness. I okay. was, you know, I started started weightlifting obviously I wasn't doing any Olympic weightlifting all the barbells had like you know attached to cables <laughs> you know <laughs> and we had dumbbells and stuff but it was a lot more just isolation movement you know like your typical weightlifting that you know bench press and you know we did some squatting and stuff like that but uh but so I was doing that and, uh, and I was implementing a lot of running so I would do a lot of and at this point I had never really seen CrossFit I'd looked at it, maybe a few men's health magazines and stuff but uh but I was a big runner, so I was running, and I would stop at the weight pit and do pull-ups, you know, and I'd stop at, like, one of the picnic tables to hook my feet under and do sit-ups, and, and all these people were like, you know, a lot of these guys were like, wow, because they just, like, lift weights, or, you know, they're just lifting, you know, and they're just, you know, so they were like, whoa, man, you're, you're you know, you're a fast runner, this and that, and some people would be like, oh, we want to try and work out with you, so it was really cool. I started making friends that way, and when yeah. you're a person, it's not easy to make friends, you know, it's kind of scary, and yeah. but uh, I started making, most of the best people I met were, like, in wow. the weight pit, you know, and they were like, you know, yeah. Your own so, little, making up your own CrossFit workouts before you even knew. Yeah. That's so cool. And it was then, though, at that prison, I, I walked in my housing unit one day after working out, and I, I, I just must have been, let's see, it was probably 2012, CrossFit games were on TV. Oh, really? It might have been, it might have been a 2011 rerun, but, you know, it was on ESPN, and I walked in my housing unit, and I remember seeing... I mean, all you guys were like Rick Froning, and I watched the women. I was like, "Oh wow, I gotta try this stuff." And so I started going out in the rec yard and, and implementing, like, you know, I was trying to do like dumbbell snatch and stuff, you know, whatever yeah. I could. But you know, you know, I mean, I didn't know how to do a kipping pull up or any of that stuff, but I was trying. And but yeah, I started doing a lot more different workouts then. You know, I started implementing some stuff I saw, and, and then I started getting more magazines. My mom would send me, mm-hmm. and uh, I was just 
way into my fitness then. I mean, you know, it was like, it was, and it was a savior. I just, the, I, the better I felt, you know, yeah. the, more, the better I felt. And the hard part was the nutrition and there. You don't get fed a lot. But, uh, it sounds but, yeah. like it gave you a good new goal or something to focus on that was a positive it, thing. Yeah, it really did. It really did. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, other people wanted to work out with me, you know, they saw what I was doing and they're like, Oh, we want to try that. And, you know, some people that did, they came from the same Vermont state prison, you know, you know, so I, I, you know, I, even though you're in prison, you know, you, you meet people and everybody just makes mistakes. So I met a lot of good people, you know, yeah. and built the best for them because normally I didn't, I don't, you know, I've never seen any of them again, obviously, but, uh, but yeah. Um, so that was like my, but my, my prison thing got worse because, when I finally got sentenced, you know, I had to put in a recommendation to be brought to South Carolina, to a prison in South Carolina. Okay. Uh, FCI still. A steel, I think that's what it is. But anyway, they ship you all, the feds ship me all over the country. I mean, I mm. spent like months traveling around from prison to prison, and you're basically just on a lockdown deal. So not much exercise aside from walking laps in your housing unit, push-ups, body weight stuff. Mm-hmm. Not much food, not much of not much contact with the outside world really, you know, yeah. pretty, pretty rough five months. And then, um, when I finally made it to South Carolina, I was, uh, they gave me camp custody cause I wasn't a violent offender or anything. So, okay. but I had a prior, a warrant and left in North Dakota. So when it came time for them to bring me out, they, when they got to this prison in South Carolina, they put you in the hole for eight weeks to hold you. So bed space is open. Wow. After that eight weeks, the gentleman told me, well, we can't let you out because you have this prior, you know, warrant. And they basically risk of flight. And at this point, I think I had like five months left in my sentence, you know. Wow. So, yeah. So, anyway, I should jump back. I did end up getting sentenced to two and a half years. Okay. Thankfully. Okay. Yes. The judge is like, I... My lawyer was really good. I wrote a very good letter to the judge. And I mean, I, and I spoke of all the fitness and the AA and mm-hmm. how good it made me feel. And, and honestly, Julie, I, I hadn't, I don't know when I had felt that good. It was in prison that I like came to a point where my body was fit. You know, I hadn't felt that good in so long. And mm-hmm. I told the judge that. And she said, whoa, whoa, you know, for you to say that in the position you're in is impressive, you know. Yeah. And she's like, and I honestly believe, like you said, if you can stay sober, that you could, you know, be a functioning human in society. And, you know, you deserve a second chance. And wow. that's why I'm going to give you two years. And, and honestly, I, I had tears in my eyes when she sentenced me. And, you know, and the fact that she, like, read my letter and took it into consideration and said that stuff meant yeah. so much. You know, and it was... I mean, you know, and, and with AA, it became, you know, that, that spiritual part of my life came back, too. I, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have a strong spiritual background, you know, and I, I didn't have a belief in a God or higher power or anything, and AA gave me that. Mm-hmm. And fitness and CrossFit just reinforces it for me, really, you know. Absolutely. That's amazing that that almost through fitness, was a, you were able to demonstrate kind of your commitment and your your intentions to actually be committed to staying sober and that that had such an impact on the judge. That's so cool. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I'm, I was it's amazing that, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I'm so lucky, you know, that I, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think of all the places I could be right now if I didn't 
I mean, you know, and honestly, I, I think maybe that was what it was meant for me. You know, prison was basically, like I said, I didn't take any of those prior experiences, those past experiences, like when I got arrested with all the marijuana and I got off. Like, you know, it wasn't like I took it as a sign from God, like, hey, that was your chance. You know, it's time to straighten up and fly right. And, and you know, so maybe it was like, okay, well, here, you're going to learn your lesson this time. And yeah. if you don't, then, you know. This was, yeah this was your wake up you know this is what it took for you and i guess people people kind of talk about their rock bottom but it sounds like that was your rock bottom point and then your what it took for you to actually accept it and realize that you wanted to change yeah yeah it's it's, you know yeah and i mean i i have to say like the it that's what's so great about being a part of this new program, the sobriety one thing, which I know we're going to jump into at some point, but, uh, that, you know, and when, when you asked about AAA is a fellowship of, you know, we're all there to help each other, you know, but it's not like, you know, when you're naming, you might've experienced it, but you know, when someone says, Oh, you know, I'm a problem with this or that, we don't, nobody ever comes out and go, well, you need to do this. You know, we just share our story, you know, well, this is what happened. And you share it in a way that, you know, it might relate to them and, they get whatever they get out of it and you get what you get for helping. Yeah. You hope that helps them. But yeah, there's no like, you know, there's no fingers pointing. There's no delegate authority. If you look at the 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, they fall hand in hand to how that fellowship works and why it is like it is and what, you know, why it is so successful. I mean, it's been around since I think 1935 it was, I think that they yeah. started. A long time. So, yeah. That's amazing. So then once you finally were out, did you immediately go find a CrossFit gym or how did you start doing CrossFit after in an affiliate? I, I uh, yeah, once I was out, I, I got a job. My sister. That would be an important first step before the CrossFit gym. (laughs) My sister, she, uh, She's been down here in South Carolina a long time, and she worked. Uh, she worked at a uh, like a resort club community, okay. and uh, she was assistant general manager. So I, like I have a background in carpentry, and you know I've been a builder and all that. So she got me a job on the facilities maintenance crew. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I met a woman who worked at our sports complex, who was a new coach there. But when I met her, uh, the head person there told me she was a CrossFit coach and I said oh I was like I'm just thinking about joining the gym and she's like oh right down the road CrossFit Port Royal Sound you know and I and I hear I was looking in this other town and I never I didn't even know this place was 10 minutes down the road from where wow. I live so like that weekend I came over here I called Barry Pepper the owner and uh, I came in here on a Saturday he's like oh you want to free class uh, you know first workout and it was the filthy 50. Oh and, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like I came in I was in good shape but yeah. I was you know we all know it and that workout just wrecked me, you know, but I was like, all right, where do I sign up? You know, and, uh, <laughs> and that was three years ago. So, and wow. yeah. And, uh, you know, this past, I mean, and I've made incredible, like my fitness has just been great. I mean, I've made incredible games with the weightlifting and, you know, like, cause like when I came in, like I said, when I didn't have any experience with Olympic weightlifting. So, but like all my gymnastic skills have like excelled incredibly but i i put the you know i put a lot of time into it i you know i want to learn these things and and and, uh you know there's great people here great coaches so so it's been a great thing for me and you know that's kind of how i got into the sobriety one thing i mean i attend more aa meetings now as much as i can um yeah tell us about sobriety one and 
I don't, I don't know if every, anyone is familiar with it that's listening, but how did you find out about it? How did it come about? How does it work? I found out about it through my box owner, Barry Pepper, is a part of Two Brain Business Group, which I'm sure a lot of you all heard of. And um, anyway, uh, a gentleman named Josh Trahan, who's uh, out of Louisiana, he owns, I think, CrossFit Bowbridge, I think it's called. I forget what, that's Lafayette, maybe. Um, anyway, he owns a few gyms, and he's a level three CrossFit trainer. He's part of that business group, and he'd been talking about sobriety wide and, and Barry, you know, thought of me and like I guess probably over a year ago Barry mentioned it to me. He's like, Yes, guys, let's put this into play. I think, you know, you should So then just uh, about about maybe a little less than six months ago, Josh, we had a, a little retreat and we got together in Louisiana, me and a gentleman from a gym in California called CrossFit Proper. Mm-hmm. I think it's sure she's part of the two brain business group, um some people from CrossFit Torsion in Ohio. Mm-hmm. CrossFit Port Orange, I'm trying to give everybody at least money. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and, and uh, basically we all got together and we discussed and met Josh and talked about this program and how we can put it into play and listen to Josh's ideas and how this idea came upon. And, and we had a really good weekend of just brainstorming and mm-hmm. thinking of stuff, you know, listening to a lot of um, actual data that um, another gentleman, Michael Hanley, who is out of Louisiana, he owned some rehabs in, mm-hmm. in Louisiana that were very successful. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of fitness data, fitness-based data that helped people in recovery. Okay. So we went over all that and um, basically talked a lot about how we can make this program work because it, it's a free class right now, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, that's what we want. We want it to be similar to how AA works, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, we're here to help. But, yeah, so Barry hooked me up with Josh and, and – uh, that was great, and I've been planning on doing my L1, you know, for like this last year, and mm-hmm. I finally just got to put this in the plan and do it so that I can coach these people, at least, mm-hmm. you know, have that knowledge of them. But I've been doing the class for about five weeks here at our gym every Sunday at 9 a.m. Okay. I know Josh is doing it at his gym, and the people in Ohio started doing it, so there's only a handful of gyms doing it, but mm-hmm. what is it is. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a fellowship similar to AA, and uh, we do lessons on repetition and how repetition and CrossFit relates to repetition and recovery, mm-hmm. you know, because you can really never stop going through the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. You can find an insight every time. Absolutely, you know? yeah. So many times now, and I always find insight. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so we, we relate stuff like that. And, and, you know, so a typical class we try to do in about an hour, but like my classes have been kind of small, but, uh, so I, I, I'll run them about an hour and a half and open up for more discussion and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the amazing thing is, is what I'll do is we'll talk about the topic and then after a little while we'll do a warm up, and then we'll do a little bit more discussion. Mm-hmm. You see when they do the warm up like their eyes light up and the discussion and like just, you know, the endorsement yeah. and all that. And, and it comes out and the people are just happy and they're like, whoa, you know. The so, discussion they, gets you know, better and deeper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people are really thinking and like, you know, and, and their input's great because, I mean, you know, I love my AA meetings, but when I sit in them, sometimes it's like I chair a lot of them and it'll, I try to throw out some really good topics. You know, I try to dig deep. So yeah. we're you know, that'll relate to whatever we're reading in one of the AA books. But uh, sometimes you get to that dead point in the meeting where no one speaks, you know, <laughs> and there's like 10 minutes of silence. Yeah. And I'm like, 
We need to do some burpees or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I see the, you know, it's almost like, you know, you're fueling the discussion through exercise and, you know, people just get open-minded. They're not afraid to, you know, to share and talk and, you know. So, uh, and I like that, you know, I mean, that's the best thing you can do is, you know, I mean, even if it doesn't relate to the topic at hand, you know, we're not, you know, we're here to, here to help you feel better, you know, so. So is it the same? Is there a, a topic or discussion that's the same at all these gyms across the country that you're talking about? Or do you individually pick the topics based on your class and your community? Um, Josh has been providing us the topics. Okay. And we're, he does have a website now, sobrietywad.org. Okay. I believe it's active, and our gyms are, you know, mentioned on there as places to find Sobriety Wad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know we're working towards having some kind of programming available. So, say, like, your gym wanted to provide Sobriety Wad, you know, there would be a program where, whether you use Wadifiers and plant or anything like that, you know, it's up there. Someone could come sign in on the whiteboard mm-hmm. and the program for the day will be there and you know i'd like to see it so that okay the topic of today is you know we're going to talk about step one and how it relates to crossfit yeah, you know absolutely. and that brief you know summary of like okay this is the topic so that way people if you know they're coming in they're going to look and they'll be like oh i can think about you know what they want to share and you know mm-hmm. how, but then you know and, and sometimes i make up the workout but lately josh has been providing one but mm-hmm. he's flexible with us doing, you know, and obviously scaling was one of our topics in one yeah, of the meetings, sure. and, you know, and we're doing a lot of scaling because some of these people are coming in, and, you know, I haven't worked out if they, you know, if ever, you know. Right, so, right. Oh, yeah. That's um, amazing. How do people usually find out about it? Is it something that you would talk about in your AA meetings, or how do they get involved? That's what I've been, I've been mentioning it in my AA meetings. Okay. Uh, um, I've been trying to get around to a few more. Like I recently put in my notice at my job and I'm going to start working for myself mm-hmm. because uh, I just, I got enough work that, mm-hmm. so I'm hoping to have more flexible schedules so I can help get this program growing more. Okay. So yeah, I'm going to start getting around to a few more meetings, but I'm also planning on going, when I was released from prison, I had to do intensive outpatient okay. therapy and I'm going to go talk to my counselors from that. Mm. There's a lot of younger kids there, and right. I would like to help them because they're the ones I think. You know, a lot of people I've been working with in AA that they're they've been in sober for a while. They've been in recovery. They've right. got a grip on their. They're just not into fitness really as much as I am. <laughs> I mean, some of them that come now are like, "This is great. How can I get more of this?" And yeah. Ultimately, we're not we're not here to be like, "Oh, we want to get financial gain. We want you to join our gym," but like. A good example was last week's lesson was uh, living your life on a program. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing was that I was able to relate so much of it to what I learned in the L1. Yeah. To, to, the, to the, the gentleman that was there. And uh, he's he, the one guy that's here every week. He is like my go-to guy. And I, and I really, after we, we did the workout, you know, I said, have you considered joining CrossFit? I mean, you know, this is number one. But he, every day when he leaves, he, he's like, what can I do during the week? And I'm right. like, well, this is free time. I can't sit and, like, program a schedule for right. you. I certainly can help you, and I can show you how to take the workouts you've learned and maybe mix them up and do other stuff. Yeah. But, uh, but I, you know, he's he's always he's into the nutrition. He questions me about everything, you know, and, and it's like any of his responses to questions, everything, it's like, you're ready. You're ready to take the step. <laughs> 
and you know what it's like to live your life on, through the 12 steps, you know, so, and I, you know, I, I mean, the whole uh, wellness continuum chart applies to the addiction thing so much if, you know, you just slap the uh, addiction at the sickness part, you know yeah, what I mean? And absolutely. Apply everything that Glassman relates that on there. And so That's I had, my, I, yeah, absolutely. That's my favorite model of fitness that they have. And yeah. That, yeah. when I heard that in my level one, it was definitely a life-changing moment for me. But yeah. I love that. It's true because you almost can think about it like that slope. It's a slippery slope if you get too far over the edge. So yeah, and yeah, well, yeah, I like because where he in the in the seminar he drew the buffer and he's like, we got this buffer here that keeps yeah. you in the fitness. And I was like, oh, I never thought of that. No, but I was like, that's like perfect because you know that's like addiction because you know people. It's crazy because people ask me, like, oh, so you can never drink again? You know, like. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I can if I want to, but I know what's going to happen if I do, you know. And my friend, a woman here at the gym asked me, and I said, you don't graduate from AA. It's not like, okay, I'm ready to be a successful alcoholic. I can go back out and drink. I said, right. and she said well, what will happen? I said, I'll tell you what will happen. You won't see me driving my nice Toyota Tacoma that I worked so hard to get and yeah. work, you know. You won't see me here at the box anymore. You know, you may next week, but it'll just get worse and worse, and all these things will snowball on me, and I will right. go downhill and I have to live every day and remember you know that that sickness is with me forever and, and you know I ever let my ego get so big and think that I've got a grip on that that's when I'm I'm in I'm in deep trouble yeah you know? I love that comparison <laughs> it's so true because it is it's like a muscle that you have to train it's like it's not like you exactly. get fit one day and you can say oh I'm good for the rest of my life you have to constantly be training every single day to maintain that that yeah. fitness and that health. So I love that analogy. That's yeah. amazing. I, I think as, as well as, uh, you know, like they say, you know, we have to focus on our weaknesses and CrossFit, not our strengths. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the same with sobriety. I mean, you know, because it took me a long time to learn about in sobriety. You know, I learned that more of my problems, it wasn't the actual alcohol and the drugs. It yeah. was the problems that made me, you know, so dealing with everyday life and not turning around and being like, oh, I'm just going to go have a drink because, you know, I can't deal with my boss, you know what I mean? Or I'm going to go get high because I can't deal with this, you know? And I, yeah, you got to put all that behind you and be like, you know, this is what life is. I have to deal with it, you know? Right. Address those challenges or those weaknesses. So true. So true. And I love what you said earlier about the humility, too, and that first step in recognizing because I think... That's something else that obviously you can't do CrossFit unless you have some level of humility because you're not going to be great at it ever because yeah, just as yeah, you get better, yeah. it gets harder. So oh, it's, yeah. it's so true. I mean, it really is amazing. And I, I said it to Josh uh, Tran there because he asked me, how was the L1? And I said, it was great. And I said, it is crazy. The more I read in the CrossFit Journal, how much... And, he, you know, it's just there to 12 steps. They're all, yeah. you know, like, yeah, to everywhere, right? And and Josh is like, I mean, you know, he is a great guy. I mean, I should give you his information. You you, would, you might want to consider talking to him, too. He's got great insight. And uh, cool, a really cool thing that I, I did want to mention was that he went last week to um, Phoenix Multisport, which is in okay. uh, Denver. They're big on fitness recovery, and they've been around a few years, but they invited him out. And they kind of want, I think they want Sobriety Wild to be kind of an armband for their... That's amazing. Uh, too. That's really so cool. I did see something about them recently in the CrossFit Journal, and I, so I know that they're they're pretty big in, into it. And I know that Josh has been in touch with Greg Glassman about this program and, you know, that... It's you know, amazing. So and I think 
it's something that you could easily see implemented at any gym if you do a, a once a week free class. I think it's very feasible yeah. um, if you have the right people who are passionate about it and who yeah. want to take it on. So what's what would be involved or what would be the requirement for someone to lead that class? Obviously, you have to have your level one, but what other types yeah. of qualities are you looking for in instructors? I mean, I think we want to have an instructor that is in, uh, is in recovery. Yeah experience with recovery and addiction, you know, I think is one of our goals. And uh, because I think that's what's going to keep, we, I think we all agreed when we were in our meeting in Louisiana that that's what's going to keep the program whole and what it should be, you know. Absolutely. And one of the biggest things is that, you know, that whole financial thing, like we don't, you know, same, similar with the 12 steps of AA, it's not, a, you know, it's not a financial gain thing. You put money in a basket and, you know, if you don't have the money, you don't have to, you know, we're here to help. And right now it's just, you know, that's all it is. I mean, ultimately we want to teach people that, you know, their life can be better, you know, if we combine recovery and fitness, you can right. live on a whole other level than you're living right now and, and be, you know, fit and happy and healthy and feel good. Mm -hmm. We want to teach people that. And obviously, you know, to get that, you know, you got to take a, you might have to take it a, a step up, notch up, maybe join the gym, and, you know, if that's, something you want to do after several weeks of, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, there's that fine line of like, you know, we don't want people to think, yeah, we're just getting here and then we want you to sign up to join the gym, right. you, know? you know, so, and I, I don't think we'll have that problem. I think, you know, it's such a CrossFit, one of those things that, you know, you'd start doing it, you want, it's, you get a taste of it, you want more, Absolutely, you know? absolutely. I've heard people say that, you know, if you feel, if you have an addictive personality that sometimes you can replace it with a healthy addiction. Do you feel like that's what CrossFit and fitness I, has been for you? I think it has. A lot of people ask me that, Julie. It's funny. <laughs> it's, it's one of the one questions I get. You know, you think you're replacing one addiction for another, yeah. and I'm like, well, yeah, even if I am, at least it's a good one, you know? And, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know? I mean, it's funny because we talk about in the program, you know, I mean, you've got to think of yourself in recovery. You know, I mean, that's the number one thing. And I think that's the same in fitness. You know, like you have to think of yourself to be fit. You know, you have to take the time out of your day. To, mm -hmm. And then sometimes I mean sacrifice and other stuff. You know, it's hard right. to everybody have to get up at 530 in the morning. And that's where the dedication and all that, you know, and some people, you know, have a hard time with that. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think once you implement, like, these things in your life, you know, and I mean, it's the similar in AA. It's like, well, you want to get to an AA meeting. Sometimes, you know, you got to get up at 6 in the morning to get to a 7 o'clock meeting so you can get to work on time. And yeah. how bad do you want to be sober and how bad do you want to be fit, you know? Mm -hmm. so, it's you know, sacrifices. Yeah. And this is cool because some of those people can get both in one, you know? Absolutely. Which, and I mean, that's another good way to look at it, you know, so... Absolutely. What are other than purely the fitness and, you know, you're achieving your milestones and um, making progress in your own fitness. What are some other things about being now being part of a CrossFit affiliate that you think have helped you in your recovery process? Um, I think that it, it's been able, it's been good for me because of the rough. Like the fitness gains have kind of helped me lead by example. Mm -hmm. I mean, but I, when I came in here, I didn't hide my story. I immediately told Barry, the owner, you know, I'm a recovering addict and this and that. And I mm -hmm. told my whole story. Mm -hmm. uh, but, and I, and I shared that with everyone. Barry actually did a podcast, like with our, you know, yeah. for our, and 
and a lot of people who didn't know that about me when they saw heard that they were like oh my god you know so and i and i try to encourage i post the sobriety wide thing that mm-hmm. remind about it um i think uh it's it, a lot of people just are inspired by you know that i've overcome that addiction yeah. you know and that makes me feel good you know but uh and just being able to help really you know I mean, especially now because I mean, it's not like I'm, I'm I don't really coach any classes yet except for sobriety wide. Like I literally just did my whole one, but uh, but I am able to like point some advice out to some of those people and just you know, I just like to be able to. I think to be able to help people is, is I think it's kind of my calling, you know, like the whole addiction. I think so. Now I'm just like. I think I should be helping people with addiction. You know, that should be my thing. You know, I mean, like all my life, I'm like, should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? Yeah. You know, as a carpenter, as a competitive skier, you know, I got a degree in horticulture. Yeah. I've never really, like, you know, attached to one thing and, and felt as passionate about it as I do with the fitness recovery thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're, I think, you know, uniquely qualified in order to be able to do that just because you've lived yeah. it and you've experienced it. Yeah. And you've, You've yeah. overcome it, and so many people don't get that second chance or aren't able to overcome it. And so, seeing what's possible, I think, has such an impact alone and sharing yeah. your story. So, I really appreciate you sharing it. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely a good way to look at it, too. Just, you know, seeing what I've overcome. And, and like I said, I know where I could have, you know, I, I know where I could be, or, you know. Mm-hmm. I wasn't where I could be, you know, present, but it could it could be worse, you know. I mean, I've had a lot of friends that, you know, have OD'd and not made it out of that whole rat race, and, you know, that's it's just that's a terrible way to live. So, yeah. so I'm very fortunate, yeah. 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 If there's anyone else who's listening or if there's someone who, um, who maybe has a family member or a close friend who's in the throes of addiction who maybe hasn't gotten to that rock-bottom place or maybe is in that rock bottom place, what advice would you give them or what would you want to tell them? Uh, I would say to, I mean, I think the number one thing is to try to get to, I mean, to go to a meeting, mm-hmm. go to a meeting. Just yeah. Go. Yeah. And you know, and as like, we know, um, going to a meeting, the hardest part is just walking in there mm-hmm. and accepting powerlessness, you know, and I think that key word is acceptance, accepting, you know, where you are and what you've become. Mm-hmm. And the, way you're gonna you know make that first step into recovery really mm-hmm. so, yeah I mean there's a lot of great books out there to read that you know help me right off the bat and, and those are mostly through the general service board of Alcoholics Anonymous but mm-hmm. that book I mentioned earlier Living Sober Living Sober okay yeah and then there's another book that is not the general service I think the author is Jim Rohr but it's called uh, Breathing Underwater and it's an excellent book that relates the steps to, to life and, you know, the spiritual side of things. You know, and, 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 you know, the other thing that's, that's key is to go, you know, not to go, it's kind of got to go into AA meeting with an open mind, I guess, you know. I mean, you can't go in there and think, thinking that people are going to shove God down your throat and this and that. Nobody's going to do that, you know. Yeah. So going with an open mind you know you know if you want recovery that bad and you start if you apply those steps it'll work i personally have never been into a recovery center you know like a, a you know mm-hmm. 90 day treatment or anything you know i was always one of those people that told myself I, I don't need that i can get sober <laughs> on my own and as i told you in the, in the past i'd get sober and that didn't work out too good for me you know 
So I, you know, I don't know how, I mean, some of those treatment centers may work for some people, but I think that the success rate of, you know, the 12-step program has, uh, is living proof that, you know, Absolutely. that does work. It's just applied, you know, and you're, you know, you go in there accepting that you're powerless over alcohol or drugs, you know, mm-hmm. that it's going to work. I mean, whether it be AA or NA, those, they follow the same principles, the same tradition steps, you know, mm-hmm. so. Okay. But. Yeah. I think that's great. That's great advice. Yeah. And it is actually amazing now that you say that, that you never did do for everything that you were involved with, that you never did do a intensive rehab. Yeah. yeah. Is... I, I did the outpatient when I got out of prison. And the odd story is like, I was already sober, obviously. And that was, uh, my federal probation officer was like, yeah, you got to do this for eight months. And I was so mad. I was like, I don't need that. You know? And I was like, oh, and I, but then I realized I was a guy in an AA meeting said to me, you might not be going there for you. You might be there for someone else. That's true. You know? And I was like, that's a great way to look at it. And I was fresh in AA out of prison. You know I mean? I'd only yeah. been to some meetings, but some of these people really opened up my eyes to, you know, you might be there to help someone else. And when I started sharing my story and those little outpatient uh, things, people were inspired by what I had to tell them. And like, they were impressed. I mean, and I was telling them, these guys were all younger people. I was like, you don't want to be 44 years old, you know, and out of prison like me, you know? So, and uh, the the counselors were really nice. And when I left, they were like, oh, I'm so sorry to see you go, you know, because you graduate and go on. Yeah. But uh, they're the ones I want to go get in touch with now, though, too. But like I was saying about somebody, I want to see if I can't reach out to those younger, the younger people because absolutely try to let people know early on what's available yeah. to them and how yeah. they can connect. So that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. This has been amazing, and I'm so excited to hear about Sobriety Wad and what you guys are doing. And I hope that if anyone is listening, that has a gym or they have had a similar experience that maybe they would look into hosting a sobriety wad at their gym. Um, and that's at sobrietywad.org where they can get more information. Um, I want to close the podcast with three questions I ask everyone. So the first one is three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health. Um, I do a weekly food prep. Nice. Uh, Sundays? Obviously. Sundays, yes. Very yep. good. What is your go? Do you have go-to meals that you like to cook? Yes, I do. I usually do uh, I do a lot of uh, spaghetti squash with chicken. Yeah. Like a tomato puree and you know, throw some like peppers and raisins kind of. Yeah. I try to do stuff that's like not too complicated, obviously, you know, because how overwhelming the food prep can get in. But that's <laughs> one of my that's one of my, you know, my definite, like, I'll eat that twice a day sometimes, you yeah, know? Yeah, that sounds delicious. And I'm really into the, I, I do the, the paleo uh, pancakes with the bananas, you know, oh. that one of the bananas and eggs, and that, that's, you know, Very definitely good. one of my favorites. So, and scrambled eggs, obviously, for the breakfast. Yeah. But, but, yeah, those are my two go-to meals. And then Very good. Uh, I, I also do a lot of venison because I have a friend who runs a hunting club, so he provides okay. me with them. So I try to do Very a lot nice. of venison chips. Stuff like that, yeah. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Um, okay, so meal prep? Yeah. Uh, I try to attend at least two AA meetings a week. Okay. Uh, I'm hoping to be able to open that up to more, like I said, now that I'm going to be working for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I'm at the gym every day. Awesome. Yeah. Very good. Is yeah. there something that you're working on or something you think would have an impact that 
you haven't quite implemented yet? Uh, no, I think, I mean, I, obviously I want to work more on uh, my experience with CrossFit and like work towards my level two. You know, I would like to, but yeah, I mean, mostly I'd like to focus on, on that sobriety wad thing. Like I was saying, try to get out, get it out to the younger generation. That's my next step. That's that I really amazing. want to, uh, to that uh, outpatient place, and I want to try to help those younger kids because, like I said, there are a lot of those that are forced into that court-appointed stuff, and they're not ready to get sober. But you know, I could see that step of like maybe a little fitness in their life might just push right. them beyond that, you know, and they, you know, save them from going back, doing that relapse thing, you know, which is just you know so easy for them when they're at that age. And it's just step. yeah, so, that would so. be great to see. Yeah. Awesome. Last question is, what does a healthy life look like to you? A healthy life looks like, um, I think that's a a well-balanced life with fitness, uh, nutrition for sure. Um, you know, and, and, uh, I think that it also has to have some kind of, you know, spiritual well-being with with it, you know, absolutely. Keep, like for me, it's you know that spiritual helps me keep my emotional and my mm-hmm. not just my physical. I need to keep my emotional self intact, you know, to stay healthy. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, it sounds like I'm you're living a very healthy life right now by that definition, and I'm so glad to see you living that life. And I really, really appreciate you for telling your story and being so open with us. And I hope that other people listening might learn a little bit more about sobriety wad and look at featuring it in their gym cool i appreciate you having me on here that was great awesome thank you thank you for tuning into this episode i hope you drew as much inspiration from brian's story as i did and hopefully it gave you another perspective on addiction in the recovery process if you know someone who may benefit from hearing brian's story please share this episode with them You can also learn more about Sobriety Wad at www.sobrietywad.org. Even if you don't have firsthand experience with addiction like Brian, I think many of us can relate to experiencing a rock bottom moment or a low point in life. Sometimes it's these moments when we feel at our lowest that ultimately inspire change and allow us to become our best. Have you ever experienced a rock bottom or a low moment? How did it lead to a positive change in your life? Let me know in the comments below this post on my website, juliefouché.com. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouché.com and subscribe to my email list. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send me an email at info at juliefouché.com. I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on future episodes. Don't forget you can train with me through Beyond the Whiteboard by visiting trainwithjuliefouché.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health. Lately, I've been in search of the perfect non-dairy, non-artificial, non-sweetened coffee creamer. I love having my coffee in the morning, and I usually make cashew milk myself each week because I know it's fresh and it doesn't have any added ingredients. But this week, I've decided to do a little experiment, and I've ordered a bunch of different coconut and almond milk-based creamers from Thrive Market to see if I can find one that I like and that will save me a few extra minutes each week. 
Have you tried out Thrive Market yet? They sell top organic and healthy products online at 25 to 50% off shipped straight to your door. As a sponsor of this episode of the podcast, Thrive Market is providing an amazing offer to all Pursuing Health listeners. If you go to www.thrivemarket.com forward slash PH, you'll receive an additional 25% off your first purchase, plus free shipping and a free 30-day trial. If you haven't heard yet, my husband Danny and I have been ordering from Thrive Market for years. It's helped us to maximize our efficiency with grocery shopping and meal prep in the midst of our busy schedules. Using Thrive Market, we can shop for all of our staple grocery items and ingredients from a curated list of products we know we can trust. Whether you're looking for paleo, vegan, gluten-free, non-GMO, or organic products, you can find them on the Thrive Market platform at prices 25 to 50% below retail. Even better, these items are shipped straight to your doorstep, so you don't have to worry about the time or the hassle of grocery shopping. I also love that Thrive Market demonstrates a big commitment to giving back. For everyone who signs up for a Thrive Market membership, another membership is donated to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. Thrive Market's mission is to make healthy living easy and approachable to everyone, and this aligns perfectly with my own personal mission and that of pursuing health. Because it has been such a lifesaver for me, I wanted to share the benefits of Thrive Market with all of you, and they've responded with an amazing offer. So again, head to www.thrivemarket.com forward slash PH to receive 25% off your first purchase plus free shipping and a free 30-day trial. Again, this is on top of their already 25 to 50% below retail prices. Hopefully you take advantage of this amazing offer and enjoy their service as much as I have. Once again, head to thrivemarket.com forward slash PH to save on some of your favorite items for healthy living and help make a healthy lifestyle easy, affordable, and accessible for all. This episode is brought to you by Mobility Wad. Do you struggle to get into good positions in your training and workouts? Are your movement compensations causing you undue pain and grief? MWAD's belief is that every human being should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. For nearly 10 years, Mobility Wad has been the go-to for the world's best athletes and teams. Do you know what hundreds of Olympic and world-class athletes, professional teams in the NFL, MLB, basketball, hockey, rugby, and soccer, and dozens of universities all have in common? They use Mobility Wad to train and compete at their best. I first took Dr. Kelly Surratt's movement and mobility course in 2013, and since then have read his books and followed his videos for ideas on how to address my own movement restrictions. But sometimes having all this information can become overwhelming, which is why I think the real genius is in the MWOD subscription. As part of this subscription, you have access to not only hundreds of hours of video content that can be filtered based on your specific questions, but also a daily 10-minute mobility WOD video. You just log in and follow Kelly's instructions as if he is there coaching you in person for 10 minutes per day. You may pick up certain exercises that you wish to incorporate on a regular basis before or after your workouts. But at the very least, by following this daily program, you know you are addressing a wide range of movement patterns and body parts on a regular basis without having to think about it. I often do these sessions first thing in the morning or before bed as a way to wind down from the day. In addition, you have access to an on-ramp sequence and a 14-day mobility challenge that helps you understand the basics and identify the areas you personally need to focus on. You can lean on the MWOD community and discussion boards to learn from others who have been through similar situations or injuries. And if you need more personalized help, you can use the MWOD list to find a like-minded practitioner in your area. 
It's easy to become part of the Mobility Wad community, but for being a Pursuing Health listener, you can receive 20% off an annual membership with code Julie Fouché. That's J-U-L-I-E-F-O-U-C-H-E-R. Just visit www.mobilitywad.com. Full potential, full power. Full power. 